So I'm guessing it's been two years since I was with you, I think. And that's too long. It is, um, it is almost difficult to describe how um, encouraging it is to see what God is doing among you. Because this is not just some response intellectually. This is from the deepest part of my heart. And a father has no greater joy than this than to see his children walking in the truth. And please don't be offended if I refer to myself as your dad. And I don't mean anything other than the fact that I feel that in response to you and what God is doing. I have a message that um, I want to share that I believe will bring freedom. In fact, this is really probably our every Saturday night prayer when we pastored was, Lord, whenever I go into that pulpit tomorrow, I just pray that you would help me to bring life and faith and help people to feel better when they leave than when they came in. And probably you've been in those places where you didn't feel better when you left. (laughs) It's like, well, thanks so much for that word. I really appreciate that. Um, and I pray that, uh, that this will minister to you. I'm going to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And if you have your Bible or your phone or whatever, uh, just uh, three verses. 1 Samuel 16, 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. Now, if you didn't happen to grow up in church and go to Sunday school and use flannel graph, can I get a witness anywhere in the house? <laughs> and, uh, and so on one Sunday, uh, you know, the, the flannel graph guy would be Jeremiah, and then one Sunday it'd be Timothy, and, and one Sunday it would be Samuel, and you would know the story of Samuel. What an amazing story. I'll say some more about that in just a moment. But, but let me just give you a quick history here, okay, about Samuel and about Saul. And in that time in the life of Israel, God spoke through prophets. He would raise up a prophet. And that prophet would be the voice of God to the people. And not only that, the reverse would be true too. When the people wanted to communicate with God, they would go to the prophet and they would say, go to the Lord and tell him this for us. And so the prophet had a a remarkable position before God and before the people of God. At that particular time, Samuel received his calling at age nine. Think about this. At age nine, Samuel began to hear from the Lord. And how many of you, the first time you heard from the Lord, you weren't sure that was the Lord? How many of you still, when you hear from the Lord, you wonder if that's really the Lord or did I make that up? And uh, Samuel was nine years old and uh, 
he heard from the Lord and that began his prophetic ministry because then he began to hear from the Lord and speak for the Lord. And of course, the Lord raised him up to be a prophet. And this was at a time when the people of God were um, um, enraptured by the cultures around them who had kings that would go out and do battle and they wanted to have a king like everybody else had a king. But mom, everybody is, and how many of you heard it? If everybody jumps off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff? Well, this is the people of God. They all wanted a king. And Samuel said, you don't want a king. Trust me on this. I'm a prophet. I know about this stuff. You don't want a king. And I'm paraphrasing slightly there. And Samuel went to the Lord and said, Lord, here's one of those times, a better idea than the Lord has. They want a king, and I told them that they don't want a king, and the Lord said to Samuel, give them a king. And there was a brief conversation about that. And then Samuel went, and he anointed Saul as king. And at first, Saul was great. And Samuel loved Saul. And Saul would lead the armies out and win victories. And, but Saul had some deep character flaws, which it only took a short while in leadership for those character flaws to be exposed. And actually, promotion often does that. Uh, that's why it's so critical that whatever role that you are in, before you take a next step, check your heart and know that things are clear in your heart. And I believe these brothers have done exactly that. But Samuel um, uh, became very disillusioned with Saul. And it came to a point to where um, God rejected Saul and Samuel had to be the mouthpiece and go and tell Saul the kingdom is torn from you and given to another. And, um, and then you have uh, where we have arrived here at chapter 16 where the Lord basically rebukes Samuel. Now let me stop there for just a minute and say personally, I know that everybody here, your hero in the Bible is Jesus. Okay, I know that. All right. Um, but besides Jesus, who is your hero in the Bible? Mine is Samuel. I love Samuel. Because here's what the word says about him. Not one of his words fell to the ground. I don't know anybody like that. It's not true about this guy. And sorry, but it's not true about you either. But it was true about Samuel. That's a phenomenal statement. Not one of his words fell to the ground. Samuel is such a hero of mine that whenever I was in Israel, I uh, had a, a personal tour with a retired Israeli general who could get me into places that, that uh, we weren't supposed to be. <laughs> and I told him that I really would like to see uh, Samuel's tomb. And uh, Samuel, as scripture tells us, is buried in Ramah. And um, at the time that I went, and I don't know if it currently, but it's probably still true, that was under uh, the uh, uh, occupation of the Palestinian uh, authorities. And so to get in there was a little dicey. And, um, but uh, my, my uh, 
Israeli General Moshe Bronstein, uh, I don't think he made that name up, uh, got me there. And he took, took me to this little village. And, of course, everyone was looking at us very strange because we knew we were out of place. And he took me to this uh, small uh, structure that, uh, through history, had at one time been a mosque under the Ottoman Empire. And at one time during the Byzantine uh, era, it was a church. And now it is a uh, Orthodox Jewish seminary. It's just a small little place. But inside that uh, small little seminary, church, mosque, um, is Samuel's tomb. And uh, we went in and we put on our yarmulkes and uh, the, the students were in there studying the Torah and I'm sure wondering, who are you coming in here? And I just wanted to be there, not because it's some kind of magical or mysterious kind of thing, although I did hear one time about prophets' bones and touching them. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but you can't touch the bones, okay? But we, we went in there, and it was, it was about the size of the drum deal. And it was a big mound. It was overlaid with... Uh, uh, tapestries and stuff, and we we got up close enough to where I could say I'd been there. <laughs> I just wanted to have some kind of a physical connection with my hero. Have you ever done anything like that? And just it meant a lot to me to say I saw where he was buried, and I read it in the Bible. And one of these days, when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, "Sammy, my man." <laughs> I saw where you were buried. He said, I know, I know. <laughs> I want to say to those who stood here before you, but this is also a message for every person, and that is that if a person like Samuel could come to a point in his life when the Lord would say, what are you doing? That you and I are just as much candidates for a what are you doing question from the Lord. And the specific question is, how long will you mourn over Saul seeing that I have rejected him? How long is this going to go on? Now, before I say what I'm going to say, let me say what I'm not going to say. <laughs> First of all, when this question about how long will you mourn does not speak about the emotional grief of loss. That's not what it's talking about. Everyone here has experienced the emotional grief of loss. And the older you get, the more that you experience that as you release loved ones to go and be with the Lord prayerfully or you've experienced abandonment or perhaps it's the, a long held hope or dream that did not work out and there's a grieving in your heart over that, that that's very human and it's very right to grieve over those things as a matter of fact, if you do not grieve over those things, you can't get well. 
there's something about the emotional grief of loss that is the process by which the Lord has designed us to come into a place of healing. So he encourages us to grieve. He not only encourages us to grieve, he encourages us to grieve with those who grieve. And so part of the life of a church is not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but it's to weep with those who weep. And then God brings healing and he, he brings cleansing through, through tears. I'm not talking about that. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah tells us that when the Messiah comes, that he will be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So are you grieving about anything? I guess, you know, in a year like we're in right now, I don't even have to ask the question. Um, But I would encourage you, grieve that. I'm not talking about that. I'm also not talking about spiritual sorrow over sin. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. Keep going. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There is a uh, there's a spiritual sorrow over sin that is absolutely appropriate in the life of believers. First of all, personally, because unless you have personally grieved over your spiritual condition, you probably did not move on into repentance and thereby come into the 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 receipt of salvation, the gift of salvation. You don't earn it by feeling bad. But there is the reality that if I'm not truly sorrowful for my sin, then why would I repent? But when I do grieve over my sin, and I realize the the price that was paid for my sin, the cost, and that I have the free gift of forgiveness because someone took my sin. It causes me to have a spiritual sorrow, and that's, that's very, very appropriate. Not only personally, but nationally, there is a, or should be, a spiritual sorrow over sin. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and what? Turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I don't even have to take a poll. We know that our nation is very sick. And church, there's some that aren't sorrowing over it, but I believe the saints of God should sorrow. We should grieve over the sin of our nation and pray that God would forgive our sin and heal our land. And would it be appropriate for us to pray right now for that? Could we do that? Could I, could I invite you just to take the hand of the person next to you as just a sign of agreement? Oh, God, we love our nation, and we're grateful for the remarkable privilege that we have to live in this land. And yet, Lord, we know that over the generations there has been a massive turning away from you and a 
a turning to folly and ignorance and hatred and division. And so we find ourselves at a place right now in our nation where we are broken. And there is no answer from man that will heal us. No man, no party, no policy, no law. We desperately need, oh God, for you to come and heal our land. And we pray, Lord, as I know believers across this nation are praying. In fact, believers around the world praying for the United States. That you would send revival. That you would break our hearts over the sins of our nation. That you would forgive us, O oh God. And you would heal our land. And on this day and in this moment, we pray, according to your word, that you would come and heal our nation. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm not talking about emotional grief of loss or spiritual sorrow over sin. I'm really talking about the mental mourning of regret. The issue of regret. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I wish I had done that. I wish I had said that. Or I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I had chosen that. I wish I hadn't chosen that. Aren't there just a million different possibilities of regret coming into it? I'm not talking about most embarrassing moment. Okay. Everybody has those kind of silly things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when it comes to your mind, it's like a kick in the gut. And you wish that you wish that you wish that you had not whatever. As a matter of fact, as I am at this point in the message, you've already thought of it. It's there, isn't it? It's just there in an instant that you remember and you regret it. You regret it. Well, that was the issue with Samuel, and that's why God confronted Samuel, because Samuel regretted that he had anointed Saul to be king, a total failure, an embarrassment to Israel, a grief to the people of God, and a grief to God. As a matter of fact, it, Scripture says that God regretted having made Saul king. Disaster. So, quickly, four things about regret. First of all, regret detours my walk with God. Between chapter 15 and chapter 16, in that little white space right there, many theologians say was 10 years. 10 years from the time that Samuel last saw Saul, and went to his hometown, Ramah. And the Lord showing up to Samuel's house saying, Samuel, how long, man? Ten years. I don't know if that's exactly right, but 
Take it from the preacher that he probably knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Whatever period of time it was, there was time that elapsed between when God took the, the kingship away from Saul and he shows up to Samuel and says, how long will you mourn? In fact, those first last two verses of chapter 15 says, Samuel went to Ramah, Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Fast forward 10 years, the Lord says, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn? I've moved on. Why haven't you? Isn't that amazing? God was already down the road. Samuel wasn't. And this is what regret does. Regret deters your walk with God. I asked Susan if she would come and uh, let me just illustrate something to you. I want to talk about, just real quick, our walk with God. And so, uh, God, everybody, can we give it up for God? Okay. Okay. So, we, we begin our walk with God, and uh, this is what God intends, that we would just step by step walk with God through all of our days. You know, uh, Solomon had an a, uh, old covenant revelation of God. And so he said um, of the Lord, you are God in heaven and here I am on earth, so I'll let my words be few. That's old covenant. New covenant is, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he... We're not going to dance. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does say he dances over us. Okay, all right, sorry. Well, go ahead. He tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we gather there. None other has ever known. Is there anybody in the house that knows that song? Okay, all right, all you gray hairs, let's hear it. It needs a beat, though. It needs something, doesn't it? It needs some help there. Okay, enough of that. I don't want to be silly, but I want to illustrate something. In our walk with God, this sometimes happens. (laughs) And we call that waiting on God. Can I fill you in? That's not waiting on God. Because God's walking. All right. You just took off there, didn't you? All right. All right. So, and then sometimes,
Thank you, God. Can you give it up for God? <laughs> so we all know about getting ahead of God, right? But uh, more than getting ahead of God, what often happens is we get distracted. Winston Churchill said this, you will never reach your destination if you stop to throw a rock at every dog that barks at you along the way. And one of the loudest barking dogs that you will experience is regret. Because it shows up and it detours your walk with God. And you're walking with God just fine. But then that voice comes back. That memory comes back. That experience comes back. And you forget who God called you to be. And uh, Samuel forgot who he was called to be. He's sitting at his house in Ramah. That's not his job. He's not a house sitter. He's a prophet. <laughs> but regret just froze him in place. The calling of God, everyone is called by God. You know that? You know that you're called by God? Every one of you. Called when you were yet in your mother's womb. Called before you even had a thought about him. He had called you. You would not be alive today had not the calling of God come upon your life. But so often we refer to the calling of God kind of in the past tense. I remember when God called me. But calling is always a present and future concept. Okay? The call of God, yes, it may have happened when you were nine years old about like Samuel was. But really the calling of God is like right now. And it's in the days ahead. Just like these men who are standing here at the front. This is the call of God. Regret can detour that walk and you can forget what God called you to be. Secondly, regret depletes my spiritual resources. And so the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. Why was Samuel's horn empty? You're a prophet. You know what prophets do? They anoint. It's like a farmer without a plow. It's like a surgeon without a scalpel. It's like a mechanic without a set of tools. What are you doing? You've let the horn go dry. Fill your horn with oil. This is what regret does because here's what happens is... I, I focus here on the disappointment of that regret and I stop seeking the Lord. This isn't about that you deny Christ, that you say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. No, 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 no. This is just that I stop going to the well. I stop being filled with the fresh water of the Holy Spirit. I just get familiar with the things of God. Does this ever happen to anybody in the room? Don't raise your hand. You just, get, you just get used to it. We know the lingo. We know the style. We know the actions. We know what to do. But we've stopped seeking the Lord. And when you stop seeking the Lord, you go dry. Hello. There's a profound statement. But we've all had that experience. So no condemnation here. It's kind of like a big club. We're all members of that same club. 
we have ceased seeking the Lord, and because of it, we're without the fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so, okay, like, I'm older than several of you in here. Um, and I am learning, and I'm still growing, and that was an excellent word, by the way. Thank you for that word. And I received that word. That I want to be growing. And one of the things I really more and more every day is I can't function without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean just coming to Tyler to preach at Soma. I mean, you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. (laughs) For a variety of reasons. If it's anywhere like Azel where we live. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You need an anointing of the Holy Spirit in your marriage. You need an anointing of the Holy Spirit in school. You need your anointing of the Holy Spirit to get along with your neighbors. There is nothing that you do not need the fresh oil of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Nothing. So I grew up in my, in my dad's trade. We were wallpaper hangers. And um, I'm grateful that my dad taught me that trade. And it helped me uh, uh, have the money to get married and, and funded our bivocational ministry for a number of years. It was a wonderful gift from God to have that trade. And, uh, you know, back in the days when they had wallpaper, you can't even hardly find it now, but uh, that'll come back. I'm believing it's coming back. (laughs) I I would get these bizarre patterns of wallpaper to try to match. Now, when it first started, you had the early American wallpaper that was on this one side was exactly the same the other side and you just put them up next to each other no big deal and then they came up with drop matches so that one side then fit there and then there and then theirs anybody know what I'm talking about there and then some rocket scientist (laughs) came up with a fourth drop match which was this and then this and then this and then this that's of the devil And I can remember being in Plano, Texas when it was just like going nuts with home building and we were hanging wallpaper that there would be mornings that I would unroll it and go, oh no. And I say, I just stop right then. I say, Lord, I cannot do this wallpaper job unless you help me. And you know what? He would answer that prayer. How many times have I gone to fix my truck and not known what to do And say, Lord, I've got to have your help here. So regret comes against that whole issue of my needing that anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because I get sidetracked. I think about it. I think about what I wish I hadn't said or what I did say. Thirdly, regret diminishes my vision of the plan of God. Now, you would think that a prophet would have a vision of the plan of God because that's what they do, right? In the previous chapter, when God tells Samuel, I'm taking the kingdom away from Saul. He also says that I'm going to give it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That's in 15 verse 28. So ahead of this 10-year thing, the Lord says to Samuel, I've got somebody in the wings. I have a plan. I'm going to do this. Did Samuel just fall out of his brain? Anybody here ever ever have something just fall out of your brain? You you think, oh, I forgot that. How did I forget that? I know that. But then I just lose it. 
Well, for some reason, the regret in Samuel's life was so great that he did that. He it diminished his vision of the plan of God. He lost sight of God's plan for David. When that happens, I can't see the sovereignty of God at work. <clears throat> Sometimes the sovereignty of God is like a sledgehammer that, that insensitive people hit you over the head with. Well, it was just God's way. And that's not the sovereignty of God. That just simply means that God rules over all, that he has a purpose and a plan, and he is working that out. How many believe that God is working out his plan in your life? How many knows that he causes all things to work together for the purpose of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? This is the plan of God. And when regret comes in, I lose sight of all that because I can't figure out how in the world can God work out this thing. So I guess I'll just stop prophesying. Samuel did. This is the opposite of progressive revelation. Do you know this, this concept of progressive res- revelation in which, in which you get a revelation from God, but you don't get the whole picture? And then as you walk along by faith, he unfolds more and more and more. And so now you get to a place and you look back and you have a greater understanding of, of uh, what it was that God first told you. I think that's my experience. I don't get the whole picture at one time. But as I trust him, as I... Listen, as I walk it out, I get more and more, you know, and his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts and my thoughts. But he desires for me to know his ways and his thoughts. And so he's bringing me into progressive revelation. Well, regret does the exact opposite. It reduces my understanding and my revelation until it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. My mom went uh, went to be with Jesus because of Alzheimer's. And, uh, she was with us for five years before she went home to be with the Lord. And it's, it's, as far as I'm concerned, the worst disease on the planet. It is terrible because while they're still physically here, you lose them. And uh, so we went through quite a long process where, where her world just, it just shrunk. It got smaller and smaller and smaller. It's, it's strange. And not always being the brightest son in the world, I would not understand why she did not understand something over here. But her world wasn't there anymore. It was here. The same thing happened to Susan's mom who went to be with the Lord this year and uh, she did not have Alzheimer's. But the same thing happened in the aging process. And I really do think that this is a part of the aging process, our world gets smaller and smaller and more and more narrow. And so we, we don't see outside of our own thing anymore. This is why the Lord needs to give us eyes to see what he sees and ears to hear what he hears so that our world can expand and our worldview can be out here where he wants us to see his plan unfolding before our very eyes. You got that picture? Regret just does that whole thing. Until I can't even see the plan of God anymore. You may have even said, I just don't even know what God's doing anymore. And I'm not condemning you if you've said that. But I am suggesting that probably it goes back to an issue where you've stopped seeking the Lord. And stopped walking in the revelation that he's given you. Someone once said, you know what, I I just don't hear from the Lord. Other people say they hear from the Lord. And I don't hear from the Lord. But everybody has heard from the Lord. 
Sometimes, if you're not right now hearing from the Lord, go back to the last thing he said to you. (laughs) And go from there. Because there's something about this whole idea of growing in a, in a, a perspective of God's plan for my life. Fourth, and I'll wrap it up. Somebody pray for the children's workers. <laughs> Regret destroys faith in others and in God. And especially when we put our trust in someone and they failed us. I would venture to say there's not one person hearing me right now that has not experienced that. You put your trust in somebody and they failed you. And tragically, tons of believers have had the experience of putting their trust in some spiritual leader and that spiritual leader turned out not to be perfect. I was so glad that you mentioned that that these guys standing up here aren't perfect. They're just human. There's, there's no difference. There's not some kind of hierarchy here that these are the, these are the Avengers up here and, <laughs> and all of us poor schmucks can't you know, do anything here. No, we're just, we're just trying to serve the Lord in the capacity and the assignment that he has given us. But it's just so easy to put people in a place of expectation and then they disappoint us and then Satan moves right into that place and amplifies their failures and so all we see is their failures instead of giving them grace. Hey, give grace. Give grace. If you want to receive grace, doggone it, you better give grace. Can you say doggone it in church? (laughs) Twice? Oh, okay, I said it twice. That's it. Drawing the line right now. Regret destroys faith in others and in God. And so the Lord tells Samuel to do this. And Samuel says, I can't do this. Verse 2. He'll kill me. If Saul finds out that I'm going to anoint somebody else, he's going to kill me. This is the guy that had stood up to Saul in front of God and everybody. You know it? And now he becomes this wimp. What is that about? Here's what it's about. You get swallowed by, by regret and then fear just comes in and makes its home in your life and says to you things like, don't ever trust anybody ever again. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You can't survive without trusting God has designed us with this need inside that we must operate in faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That requires that I trust people. How many saw God this week? I did not. But how many of you saw God in somebody this week? Yeah. That's where we see God. One day we'll see him face to face. And I know a few dear saints have actually had a vision of the Lord. That's so awesome and I'm so jealous. (laughs) But 
really where we see Jesus is in the lives of other people. We see that manifested. And so guess what the enemy's strategy is? Get you not to trust anybody. And then you can't see Jesus in anybody. And Samuel just was captivated by fear, dominated by it. Well, how long will you mourn? Church, how long will you mourn? The Lord's moving on. So how long are you going to be caught in that thing? And, And please do not hear condemnation. This is the human experience. And there's not a one of us that has not experienced or is not right now experiencing regret. And I want to close by exhorting you this way. First of all, I'm going to challenge you to release yesterday. And don't give me this, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I'm trying. No, no, no. When the Lord said to Samuel, fill your horn and go, it was not a suggestion. It was not a concept to be considered. It was get off your backside and go and do what I called you to do. Go. Now, if the Lord can talk that way to Samuel, I'm sure he can talk that way to us. Because we can find ourselves just going passive in life. And when it comes to this whole idea of regret, you know what? There's a time when you say, that's it. No more. (laughs) I am not living there anymore. That will not have a hold in my life anymore. No fear will steal it. The set, who chose the songs tonight? Oh, yes. Fear has lost its hold on me. And every person has to have those times. And in fact, you know, I think there are probably multiple times in our lives when we just have to draw a line in the sand and say, that's it. I am not putting up with that stuff anymore. I'm going on from here. That was yesterday. It's gone. It's under the blood. I don't understand why it happened. I don't have to understand why it happened. I'm going on from here. First challenge is release yesterday. Go. It's an intentional action. Let me say this. If you're going to look back, don't look back at last week or last month or last year. Look back to Calvary. Go back 2,000 years. Because on the cross, Jesus took that regret. And he took our sin. And he took our failures. And he took our mistakes. He took all of that and bore them on ourselves so that we would not carry those anymore. And don't look back. Just move forward in what God has for us. Release yesterday. Secondly, replenish your spiritual uh, reserves. If you have uh, stopped going to the well, start back going to the well. Start worshiping again. If worship music helps you like it does me, put put the music on. Or whatever it is that will get you back into a place. If you're not reading the scriptures every day, start reading the scriptures every day. We're not giving gold stars on poster boards if you do. But you know what? You have time to eat every day. And if you have time to eat every day, you have time to feed on the word every day. So hear dad say to you, find a time. In fact, let me just go ahead and get all condemnatory here for just a minute. (laughs) I love big words like that. Why don't you make a plan that sounds something like this? I will not put my head on the pillow unless I've had some time in the Word today. 
It's my discipline. It's been for years. And that's not brag. That's, not, that's, that's just life. That's just, that's just thinking that my spirit man better be, get fed. Or if my spirit man doesn't get fed, I don't have anything to give to anybody else. Because this brain ain't smart enough. These words aren't eloquent enough. I've got to have the life. Peter said, Lord, where do we go? You have the words of life. Replenish your spiritual reserves. Thirdly and finally, re-envision an eternal perspective. Some of you just need the Lord to help you see what you've lost sight of. To see not just the temporal. Everybody's dealing with the temporal. Our whole world is dealing with the temporal. Our whole nation's dealing with the temporal. They're, they're absent any eternal perspective unless we somehow tell them what that is. But we need to know what it is if we're going to tell anybody what it is. What's the eternal perspective? What's the eternal perspective on your family? What's the eternal perspective on Soma Church? God, what do you see? Help us with that. What the Lord said to Samuel Samuel was, I have provided for myself a king. So, in humility... Recognize that God's bigger than your failures. In hope, look for a better day. And realize you have a helper in the Holy Spirit that's going to free you from that. And I know that I've gone too long and I have no idea. It's 632. I just want to ask, I know that whenever I bring a message like this, that it might not be everybody that that's speaking to at that moment. I know that. Um, And so even as I have said to you lovingly, how long will you mourn? I know that for some of you, it's been a, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, I'll, I'll think about that. And for others, it was like, oh. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? When the Holy Spirit goes, talking to you. And so I just want to make an appeal for those to whom the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm talking to you because I've moved on. How long are you going to stay in that place? And so could I pray for you? And may I invite you to bow your head and help me to, help me to kind of know if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. And so I know this sounds like a Baptist evangelist here, but all heads bowed and no eyes looking around. Um... You know what I'm saying? If the Holy Spirit pinpointed something in your heart where regret has just taken hold, I wonder if you just, in the privacy of this moment, if you just slip up your hand and say, that's me. Well, all over the room, you can put your hands down. It's not like you haven't heard the Holy Spirit talking to you about it before. Because he's always speaking to us. But there does come a time called obedience. When I say, Lord, I hear you. And I'm responding to your conviction right now. That it's time for me to let that go. And so, Lord, you know every heart here. You know, those that raise their hand and perhaps others that weren't comfortable raising their hand, but 
they know that your Holy Spirit is reminding them of something that they need to let go of once and for all and never go back there again. So, Lord, this preacher is praying for every one of those lives that you would set them free in Jesus' name. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, don't be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. Lord, for every life that you are bringing that conviction to in this moment, I thank you that you have brought them to a place of decision in which by faith, and maybe it's even a little scary, they are saying, Lord, I am willing to go on with my life and what you've called me to do. And I pray that in this moment, I believe, Lord, that your Holy Spirit's working. Hallelujah. 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 There's somebody in this room that, uh, that as I have brought you to this place, there is a great argument going on inside of your head. And that argument has to do with, yeah, but preacher, you don't understand what I went through. And it is so painful I can't even think about it. And what's even more painful is I feel like that I was a part of it. And the Lord wants to absolutely free you from that condemnation in Jesus' name. And he, he, he spreads a table of forgiveness and grace before us. And he says, won't you, won't you receive this? Won't you, won't you take this? And it's up to us to do that. So, Lord, whoever that's for, or if it's for several people, Lord, thank you that you are getting them over that hurdle into a place of freedom. In Jesus' name.